Um, I need a couple of, any kiddos in the house? Got a few kiddos in the house? I need a couple of volunteers. Um, one little caveat with that, if, uh, if you volunteer, you have to be willing to eat cookies. No, adults, no, sorry, no, I'm looking for kids, no, sorry. Right, here we go, right here, Tyler, come on. You want to come? Come on. No, no, you too, you too, you can come. Got to come right up here on stage. Give him a hand. Oh, we got more. Sweet. All right, let's keep on coming. All right, we'll have to call. We'll, we'll cut it off at that. That's great. Perfect, guys. All right, all y'all are willing to eat cookies? Yes. Okay. Now, these cookies, don't let me scare you, but a couple of these cookies are missing an ingredient. Exactly. That was my reaction, too. Yeah, I couldn't believe. Yeah. No, but I want y'all to try. I want y'all to, first, I'm going to give you a cookie. I want you to look at it. I want you to see if maybe by looking at it, you can try to figure out which ingredient might be missing. You do not have to finish this cookie. You just have to take a bite, if you don't mind. Take that cookie. Here we go. Perfect, perfect, perfect number. Good. All right. So by looking at it, can you tell what it's missing? Okay, maybe sugar. Okay, what else? Anything else? Any other guesses? All right, so now look out at the audience and take a bite, and then let, let, me, get, let me get your reaction. There's nothing, nothing scary in it, just something, missing something. Go ahead, take a bite. It's not sweet, okay. That one is actually missing butter. Butter? Butter. And so... And so it actually, it, it, it's not a very pretty cookie. It could be a lot prettier if it had butter, but it's, uh, that's, that's what that one's missing. So just keep, keep that one there. Let's see about this cookie. It's missing, it's missing butter. Still good. Oh, good. I'm glad you like it. All right, Mom, don't put butter in his cookies. He likes them. It's all right. It's all right. <laughs> all right. All right, take a, take, take a look at that cookie. See what you think. Can you tell what it's missing, maybe? I think it's missing eggs. Eggs. Okay, maybe so, maybe so. All right. Any other guesses? Go ahead. Look, look at the audience. Go ahead and take a bite. Big bite. <laughs> okay, it tastes a little weird. Oh, he's, he's taking both cookies at one time. <laughs> okay, that cookie is actually missing sugar, so there's no sugar in that, that second one. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that one has no sugar. Now, how about how about a proper cookie? Here, let's try this one. This one is not missing any ingredients. Everyone knows that because a proper cookie would never miss ingredients. Very true. She's going to stay up here and preach the message, guys. So just y'all, y'all, just, y'all stay with me for a second. All right. Y'all can y'all can have those. Go enjoy those. Go ahead and go go back to your seats. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Don't let your parents steal the cookies. You can give them the ones without butter or sugar, but it's, uh, it's, uh, that's the way we're doing it. All right, so um, why am I feeding cookies to kids? Just to torture their taste buds, right? Yeah? No? No? Actually, um, what I wanted to look at this morning is, just like these cookies might be missing an ingredient, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like something's missing. Uh, sometimes I feel like I'm just going through the motions, even when it comes to church, sometimes I feel like I might just attend. Uh, I'll come and sing some songs. I'll listen to a talk. I'll walk out the door, and nothing really changes. And, and so that's kind of what I what I want to talk about. I don't know if you ever feel that way. Do you ever feel that way? You ever kind of feel that way? You kind of just going through the motions. Maybe something's missing. 
you find yourself wondering if there's just maybe some, supposed to be something more. Um, maybe in your own life, you've even learned some Bible verses, you've uh, learned some Bible principles, whatever it is, but you just feel like there should be something else. Um, that doesn't have to be our story. And I, and I think the Bible addresses that. It speaks to this very issue. And uh, we've been in a series, series called Postcards. Uh, Pastor Chris actually talked last week via video and talked through the book of Second John. And today we're going to tackle the, the book of Third John. It's not long at all. It's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's really short. You can read through it in just no time at all. Uh, it's going to have a very similar theme to Second John. But it's written to a, a different guy by the name of Gaius. Um, but what I'm hoping is that you're going to be able to glean something a little bit different maybe than you did last week as you take a look at, at 3 John. So uh, uh, first off, we have the, uh, the Apostle John. Now, I, I love Googling images of like Apostle John. Obviously, we don't have any cameras back then, but they always come up with some of the craziest art, some of the craziest things, you know, some weird poses and some weird looks and stuff. But this is the one I found for Apostle John. Look at looking kind of young. Most people consider him pretty young when he first started with the disciples. Uh, he's the writer of this postcard. And if, uh, if, if you were to think of a, a, what kind of letter a leader in a church, the leader of this, this church might write, you might expect it to be certain things. I don't know if you'd expect his letter to be super holy. Uh, maybe it would just like ooze Bible verses or uh, maybe just like, you know, sprinkled with angel dust or something. I don't, I don't know what you'd expect whenever he writes you a letter, but I was kind of surprised by this letter. Just studying this letter, I think it's, it's by far one of the most personal letters in all the New Testament. It's, a, it's very personal. It's, it's almost like you're reading somebody's mail, which is kind of, kind of creepy, but it's, it's you're reading somebody's mail. You're, you're looking at him basically writing a friend. Okay, he's, he's going through, he's encouraging uh, Gaius in his health. He's just saying, I hope, hope you're doing well, those kind of things. But it really just seems like he's encouraging his friend. And uh, that's kind of, a, kind of what's cool about this. So before we jump into the postcard, I want to I want to take away any doubt of who the writer of this this postcard is. Okay, so I, I want you to just take a, a short little glimpse at the life of John with me. Uh, for me, it helps me get a little better picture of of who's writing and kind of uh, what what it's all about. What maybe even his overall message and his motivation. Um, when it came to those closest to Jesus, it was three guys. It was Peter, James, and John. Okay, and so those were the guys. Now, I don't know who's on your friends list, who you might be able to brag about, but these guys have you beat. Okay, Uh, when they say my best friends are uh, creator of the universe. uh, Yeah, this is Jesus. Okay, so, yeah, they've they've got you beat. That's where these guys are. But I I want you to see a little picture of his life and uh, and just kind of go from there. Uh, He was first called by Jesus while fishing with his brother, James, and uh, they were fishing. Uh, their, their dad, Zebedee, kind of owned this like family business, and it was kind of in this area where everybody fished. And uh, that's what they were doing. They were, they were fishing. Jesus comes and says, hey, follow me. They drop their nets. They leave their father's work, and they go and follow Jesus. And it's just kind of a cool thing. Uh, now, um, I don't know about you, but I think it would be really cool to have a nickname from Jesus. And these two brothers have a nickname, and they are called the Sons of Thunder. That's pretty cool, right? Uh, they're not like, you know, the little bunny rabbits or something like that. They're the sons of thunder, right? It's, it's, it's cool to me. Uh, and you see that kind of in some of their character. They have a lot of passion. They have a lot of ambition just in the, in the way that they live. Uh, their, their lives, their time with Jesus included some mishaps where uh, you see, you see at one point, it's kind of a, kind of a crazy story. Uh, you see they go into a town. The town rejects them and says doesn't doesn't want Jesus to come in. And uh, these two guys, uh, uh, John and his brother James, 
uh, asked Jesus, hey, I think, I think it's a good idea if we call down fire and destroy the city. And he's like, okay, guys, you hold on, hold on, wait, wait a second. Uh, that's not what we're doing here. And so he kind of rebukes him a little bit and said, okay. Uh, and so you kind of have those little things going. They even have at one point where they, they actually have their mom come and approach Jesus and try to convince Jesus that, that when he sets up his kingdom, the best people to sit at his right hand, his left hand are James and John. So you kind of see mother has a little motivation, kind of looking out for her kids. And Jesus is like, that's not how this works. And so it's just this whole thing. You kind of see some of that ambition. But, but what I love about just looking at, at the Gospels, looking at uh, these letters, uh, looking at this letter in particular, John's just a real dude. Uh, he, he really walked with Jesus. And you see that, you know, obviously he had some mishaps yet. But he also, you see through his life where there's a point where all of a sudden he is truly understanding just how much God loves him through Jesus. And if you go and read the Gospel of John, and I'd recommend if you haven't read the Bible in a while or ever, then that's a great place to start. And uh, you're just going to see over and over again that, man, just this theme of love. He even calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved just because he understood that fact more than anything. What, what a fact to understand, right? If we understood how much God loved us, it would change things. It would change things forever. Um, and, and so uh, I, you also see John write a lot about truth. Okay, so he writes a lot about truth. We're going to see that in our letter today. But uh, he also just desperately wants people to know Jesus. And so um, I think the pinnacle for, um, for him was definitely with Peter, James, and John, the, the Mount of Transfiguration, seeing Jesus in all of his glory, chilling, chilling with uh, Moses and Elijah, and doing that whole thing. And, and I, that changes his life forever, obviously. Those guys get to see that, get to see the true Jesus. And um, they, go on, um, they go on from there. And... and what what kind of honor is it that when Jesus is on the cross, he looks down and he asks John to take care of his earthly mother as he's going to be ascending, go back into heaven. He's going to obviously die on the cross, raise on the third day, then he's going to go into heaven. He said, John, look after Mary for me. That's a pretty cool thing. Uh, and, and so and, and John lives up to the task. It says in, in, in the book of John that he takes her in like his own mother and takes care of the, the mother of Jesus. And that's uh, that's great. Uh, so after Jesus' ascension, we see uh, we see that John becomes a becomes a real pillar in the early church. He ends up suffering for the sake of the gospel. Now this picture doesn't look like suffering, uh, but he's actually <laughs> he was actually exiled to an island and uh, you know had had no people contact, kind of very isolated. Uh, the island of Patmos, so off the coast of Turkey. But it's at that time where God gave him visions. God gave him uh, gave him so much that where he ends up. Uh, writes the wonders of the book of Revelation. So you, you, you kind of see some of those things. And so Third uh, John is all about the story of two men, okay? It's two men and one big idea. It's, uh, and so we're going to jump into Third John right now. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn there. I'm going to have it on the screen also. Uh, when he starts off, verses 1 and 2, it's kind of that, that whole welcome, that, that introduction of the letter. And so I'm not, I'm not going to read all that for you. He's wishing him well, doing those kind of things. But then he kind of gets into his reason for writing, starting in verse 3. So let's take a look at verse 3, three and 4. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I, just, I love that little, that little phrase in verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Just that whole idea, like, well, while my kiddos are pretty young, they haven't gotten to an age yet where they can make a decision when it comes to Jesus, 
I have been able to be a part of like things like student ministry, where you see, see students all of a sudden just grasping the truths of Jesus, and he becomes something that's no longer just some stories that, that you've heard. It becomes no longer the faith of your parents, but it becomes something that's real to you. And you start seeing just uh, through having conversations and through just through your time, you see them begin to accept and then to embrace and then even to walk in those truths. And man, just seeing them walk in those truths, it really is. There's no greater joy than to see just the, the, those, those students walking in that. And maybe you've been a part of something like that, where you've been teaching a Sunday school class or a part of you know, leading somebody to Christ. It really is a joy, whether it's your, your earthly children or, or not. It's, uh, it is quite the joy. And uh, as, as we talk this morning, I want to just examine that phrase, that walking in the truth phrase. And uh, it, walking in the truth to me is made up of three elements. It's kind of like our cookies at the start of this, the service. If you don't have all three ingredients, you're not really walking in the truth. And so those three ingredients to me are truth, love, and action. And I feel that you need all three or you don't really have one. Okay? So John is going to look at the lives of these two men, and he's going to tell us why one is walking and why the other one is not. Okay, we're actually going to start with the one who's not. So we're going to jump down to the book of Third John a little bit farther. There's only one chapter, but we're going to jump to verses nine and ten. So as we start with that, uh, this man's name is Diotrephes. Okay, and uh, and he's John is not shy to call him out, but I want you to see what he says about Diotrephes. He says this. I have uh, this is verse nine. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing. He's talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Now, Diotrephes is is kind of a scary example, especially to someone like me who is in leadership in a church, because he is a man also who has a position in a church. See, he was a man who even maybe had some authority Yet we see Diotrephes as an example of how John says not to do it, okay? We'll see Diotrephes as an example of evil, actually, by by the end of looking at this letter. It's a reminder to me, and hopefully to you, that this isn't all about position, okay? It's not about just some position you have to achieve or something that you're going to do. Um, You can still miss what Jesus really wants, even, even with whatever position you may be in. John tells us in verse 9 that Diotrephes is putting himself first. You'll see that? He's putting himself first. See, Diotrephes is putting his own personal desires and needs before the needs of others. Now, the root problem for Diotrephes is probably his pride and his self-centeredness. Okay? Uh, and this is obviously the opposite of what Jesus, uh, how Jesus modeled for us to behave, how he actually behaved while on earth. Uh, but then we, we see, we see Diotrephes actually at odds with the ones that Jesus left in charge to set up the early church. I mean, Diotrephes is not acknowledging John's authority. Uh, this is John I'm talking about, the one that I just gave you the resume for. He's, he's, he's basically, even though John walked with Jesus and he's been the authority all along with, with, uh, Peter James and we, we'll see Peter on the scene. That's the guy that Diotrephes is saying, nah, I'm not going to listen to you. That, that, that's who he's saying that to. It's kind of just a crazy thing to think through. He, he's refusing to accept his letters. He's refusing to submit to his direction. And um, ultimately, as if, if, as if not listening to the apostles was not enough, he takes it a step farther and he begins telling lies against them, uh, making false accusations against those who would tell him anything. 
And uh, Diotrephes is on the wrong team now, basically. He's, he's, going, he's going against those that are working towards the gospel. His, uh, his next steps are actually discouraging those who would be spreading the gospel. Uh, he's not supporting the traveling missionaries, those that are coming through trying to tell people about Jesus. And he's actually it ends up even kicking Christians out who are supporting them. I don't know, maybe, maybe Diotrephes saw those visiting missionaries as uh, threats or something. But whatever it was, I, I think this guy is definitely on a serious power trip, okay? He's, uh, he's, he's definitely not listening to, to many people. So even if Diotrephes at one point understood that life was about Jesus, perhaps he recognized the truth at some point, that, it was, that, the, that the truth is Jesus, he is at a point now where love and action are far from him. He's not showing love to these visitors, these visiting missionaries. He's not supporting those that are. Instead, his action is actually negative. Uh, he's actually using his action to intimidate those and kick people out of the fellowship. It'd be like a pastor kicking you out of a church for uh, taking care of the homeless or giving money towards Christian causes. It doesn't make sense, does it? That, that's, what, that's what's going on here. So we need to be careful to follow the example of those whose words and actions are actually in line with the gospel and, and to be discerning enough to be aware of those such as Diotrephes whose behavior is actually far from what Jesus says it should be. So uh, let, let's see a picture. I'm going to go back in the book a little bit. Let's go see an example of the, the good, the good one. Okay, so the, the good example comes from the person that John's actually writing to. And it, the, that person's name is Gaius. Gaius is the one that we'd be encouraged to imitate. Okay, Gaius is truly walking in the truth, and he's operating out of truth, love, and action. So let's go back a little bit. Verses 5 through 8. Beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So, I mean, John, right out of the gate, is over here commending Gaius, saying, Gaius, you're living faithfully. Thank you for that. You're, do, you're doing great. Uh, he's saying that your efforts to support fellow Christians and even those who are strangers, it's being noticed. You're, the love that you're showing is reaching even to me where I'm over here teaching and, and, and preaching and doing my thing, serving. The, you, the reputation of what you're doing is still reaching my ears. He's telling guys that unlike Diotrephes, you are putting the needs of others before your own needs and desires which is exactly what Christian love is supposed to be about. Jesus takes on the nature of a servant, we see in Philippians 2, right? He takes on the nature of a servant, and he asks us to imitate him. That's, that's the example he set for us. Gaius is being faithful to God by taking care of those people who are actually active in ministry. Did you all see that? Those that are walking in the truth, John reminds, reminds in verse 7 that it's up to the fellow followers of Jesus to support those who are using their lives for the sake of the gospel. What's cool about that to me is like in verse 8, you're actually going to see that as we support those in ministry, we too are part of the work that they're doing. So the way that, the ways that you support those things around you as you support Christian causes, if you, as you support the local church, as you, uh, hopefully you're supporting the church that you attend and you're a part of, uh, as you look out for other opportunities to see where is God moving, what is he doing, how can I get involved, as you're doing those things, you're a part of that very ministry in the ways that you support and not just money. I'm also talking time and just effort and using your, your, your talents, whatever it might be. And uh, those things are all important. 
and, and as you're looking for those ways to get involved, I think it's important that we're discerning. But at the same time, we have to remember that we're called to be generous at the same time. So as John compares the lives of these two men, he's saying that one is walking in the truth and one is not. So I've already said that walking in the truth requires first truth and then love and action. It, it makes me think of not just talking the talk, but walking the walk, right? That's kind of the first thing I thought of was I thought about walking in the truth. Walking in the truth means to me more than lip service, right? It means more than church attendance. It means when people are watching and seeing, you are living in a way, I'm living in a way that adds up, that people can understand that what I'm confessing, what I'm saying, I believe, is actually, they're actually seeing that, that fruit. First and foremost, if you are to walk in the truth, you have to know he who is true, right? You, so if you're going to do that, knowing Jesus is the start of you walking in the truth. So just like I can know facts about someone and not truly know them, it is possible to also know of Jesus and not truly know Jesus. So truly knowing Jesus yields evidence, right? It yields evidence. That evidence is in love and action. And it's what we've been talking about all, all this morning. If I know Jesus, the truth, then there should be fruit in my life. And that fruit will always be love in action. Now, I say love in action because sometimes we think, when we think of the word love, we kind of just think of it as like an emotion or a feeling. And if we stop at emotion and feeling, we're not, we're not, we're not walking in the truth. We're not, we don't get far enough down the line if we're just stopping at emotion and feeling. There's got to be some action, and it's got to be spurred on by that love. Let's look at verse 11. Jumping back down. Verse 11. It says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Now, can you imitate anything by doing nothing? I don't know. If I told you to like imitate a rock, maybe you'd just like kind of stand there or you know, act dead, you know, do that whole thing. You might do that and just do nothing. Uh, but I, I would say that nothing worth imitating can be done without action. Okay? Nothing worth imitating can be done without action. You, you think about like Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 says, we're told to therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Imitators of God. That's not going to happen. You're not going to imitate without there being some action involved. Now, who would sign up to have their kids, if you have kids, would you sign up to have your kids think that you're right on every single big issue, but to never actually take your advice or instruction? Them thinking you're right is great, but if they're never going to actually take the advice and instruction, there's a problem. There's never any action behind them thinking you're right. There's a problem, and the same is true for us. As I see the one who is truth, and I walk with him day by day, it means that I'm ordering my life according to what he's told me. There is some action that shows that, I love, that, that my love, that the love that I have and that, that I profess is actually genuine. Like the video at the start of the service, you, you saw some different words, and it kind of defines love. It's going to define that it's more than a feeling. It's more than an emotion. There's got to be action in that love. The God of the universe is telling us about himself and how we should live. And if we are to receive that, we know it's received when there's some action. We are called to be doers of the word, right? Not just hearers alone. We are to apply it. 
and see the application is in the action. Applications in the action. And all of that is done in love. So God's love for you, it's not heavy-handed. It's not capricious. He's not making us do things that are pointless because he's mean or something. No, he has our best in mind. And he wants, he wants us to take the love and forgiveness that he's given us and then extend that to others. You with me? That, that's what he's after. It, it kind of drives me a little crazy when I, when I you know, just see some that will say they're studying the Bible or doing those things and they're, they can look at what Jesus modeled and their idea of action is to go out and beat people over the head with it. You know, it, just doesn't, they, they, it needs that love element also. We need, we, need the, we need both parts. If you read the Bible and you feel like that's going to allow, allow you to go out and tell everyone that they're a dirty, rotten sinner, I mean, I, I think that, that can be part of it, but I, I think you're missing the full point. You see Jesus reach out to, the, to those in the world that the world would call unclean and dirty, but, but it was to the religious elite of his day. Those that knew the scriptures were not doing what he said, that he would call out most often their hypocrisy and just flat out what they stood for. There is a place for discipline and correction, but I, I think it's also for, for, those, it's for those that claim to already know Jesus, and it's, it's disciplining those that are doing that. If you study the Bible and you dig into its truth and your takeaway is that it's a bunch of rules, I think you're also missing it. I think that it's good news that when we hear that Jesus is not, is not, is so much more than rules. Don't you think? I think that's good news. So many people stay away from Jesus because they perceive a relationship with him to be all about rules. Now, yes, your life will change as you spend time with Jesus. But the way it changes is a result of spending time with him and it's not how you get to know, get to him. Meaning that you don't have to clean up your life before you come to Jesus. That's not what we're after. The truth is, our actions reveal our attitude. No matter how much I say I feel a certain way, if my actions don't match, then maybe I really don't feel the way I say I'm feeling. Do our actions demonstrate love, or are they demonstrating something else? Are we looking more like Diotrephes, or are we looking more like Gaius? Are we going to be commend, or would we be commended in this moment, or would we be rebuked? On a regular basis, I think it's important for, for me, for, for you, to examine our life, to, to look at our lives and see, is that truth, love, and action, is it all present and accounted for? You need all three, or you don't really have one. Imagine, imagine with me if our entire church truly had and began to have truth, love, and action in their lives. Can you imagine that for a second? A truth that's rooted in Jesus, a genuine love because he first loved us, and an action to not sit on the sidelines. I think outsiders would take notice, don't you? I, I, I think that we'd begin to meet some ministry needs that aren't being met. I think the community would notice, don't you? I think as we walk in those things, I think we would see a refining of ourselves. I think we couldn't stay the same. I think we'd beginning, begin to get out of the mundane. I think we would get out of going through the motions and instead see that God's desire isn't just to make me nicer, right? It's to change my forever. It's to, it's to change me, make me more like Jesus. And then I get to be a part. You get to be a part of changing other people's forever. It's an amazing thing. Truth, love, and action. You need all three or you don't really have one. Pray with me. Father God, I, I do just thank you for just this reiteration of, of your truth 
needing, God, just needing love and action to be, to be present. God, that you're not all about just uh, assimilating a whole bunch of rules or you're not about just getting information into our heads that, that instead we've got to be able to apply those things, that, you're, that you've modeled for us what it means to, to be the hands and feet, to, to be able to show people the love that you, that you show so well to us, that we could then take that same love to a world that so needs to see it, that so needs us to be genuine. That so needs us to get off the sidelines, God, and be able to, to come into action that, that knows that we're living for the sake of the gospel, that we're living for, for right now, and that we are here for a purpose. May we do that. In Christ's name.